When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home. I hope you're all keeping well. Tonight, we're going to chat about a few of the talking points off the back of the Leeds game. We're obviously going to be looking ahead to the Champions League campaign kicking off tomorrow night. And the fact that it always always tends to be a special night in front of a packed Anfield crowd. And of course, we will be giving our winners and losers of the week. I can confirm there's been some interesting chat coming through about the reason why we're late. Uh, a lot of people commenting on my Choice of TV programs. I can confirm I am now watching uh, Married at First Sight. I would recommend it for anybody else looking for something to watch. Uh, Laura was commenting on the fact that I'm probably getting a big glass of wine. So to you, Laura, cheers. Uh, joining me tonight, we have Phil, we have Shawnee, we have Comroy. And because Arsenal won at the weekend, Gav has decided he'll be taking the night off being on the panel and he's going to be on producing duties instead. But I'm sure he will be back, I'm sure, once Arsenal lose their next game. Lads, how are we? You all keeping well? Good, yeah, yeah. Good, good thanks, mate. Doing well. Conroy, you were just filling us in uh, on Manchester United, mate. You're, in, you're nah, enjoying don't, don't things that are it. happening. No, don't start it, mate. Don't get me started. But yeah, as I say, um, I think Gav summed it up at the weekend. It was not as Keith, to be fair. He said that that's the, that's the, the championship one already. That's the Premier League one. That's it, beating a, a Newcastle side without their top goal scorer. That's it, that's it done. So we might as well just accept it now, lads. But no, it was quite a... Yeah, it's was, it was a Europa League group and they've lost the first match. So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Johnny, Nothing you're else. on the midweek fix looking great, mate. It's good to have you on. How are you, how are you doing? You're looking after yourself? I'm trying my best. Trying my best. It's great to have Champions League football back all the same. The nights are closing in now. The, the, the nights are getting a little bit darker <laughs> earlier. So you just now Champions League football around the corner. But it's great to be on. Uh, it's one of the shows I love watching. So it's great to be involved this week. Uh, I'm delighted I got the call up finally. <laughs> Top man. I didn't pay you to say that either. <laughs> uh, Phil, <laughs> how's things with yourself, mate? All good? Good. Yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah. Just like Shawnee said, good to have the Champions League back. Um, I watched... Proper football. Liverpool. Proper football is back. Yeah, I, I, I watched Liverpool Leeds back this afternoon when I got home from work. I was I always scribbled down a few notes like Brendan Rodgers. You know, I write buzzwords like outstanding. 
um, <laughs> technician. These are the things would be right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, about Tiago, those kind of things. Yeah, Fabinho, <laughs> Rock. <laughs> but uh, I watched it. So I was I recorded the the United game. So I watched it as live. Then about half an hour behind everyone, so I stayed off social media. But Jesus, things went bad for them. Like the the pitch was terrible. It's one of the Astro pitches. At one stage, actually, one of the young boys players. He has his boot off and he's shaking the little black balls out of it to try and get rid of them. You know those things that you carry home? Which I, I do that with my son's yeah. football boots every single time we yeah. get back from football training. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, just Wambasaka gets sent off and things just go horribly wrong. And Solskjaer, just his man management or his, his game management was shocking. And um, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp had a, a smile on his face that his, his good mate David Wagner got a got one over on United again like he did at Huddersfield. And then I've just watched one of the saddest things ever. Barcelona playing Bayern Munich. Just horrendous to watch. As in, like Barcelona have just... The fall from grace is quicker than you can imagine. And Coutinho came on even. And the Barcelona fans cheering the, their team when they try and attack. It's just... It's so grim. So... Um, yeah, a good old day of football. In fairness, having an atmosphere at the grounds was was great. Like in fairness to the the young boys' um, home crowd, they're absolutely bouncing for the for the game tonight. Yeah, I think it it it, it kind of gives you a snapshot. Now you know you see these big big moments, European ties, home fans going mad, and and Shawnee, it probably gives you a, a true taste now of just what we've been missing as football fans. It really does feel like we've got football back. Um, you know, you're seeing raw emotion. Uh, one of my mates actually texted me. It was actually around the Cristiano Ronaldo thing. Fair play to me, he's a United fan. And he just said, it's so good just to have emotions back. I care again. It feels like football. And that is very much the case. Yeah, especially like, it's not so much prevalent in the UK as, but when you see the Bundesliga and in the Austrian League and Italian League, the, the, the crowd seem to be a bit more partisan still. Like you've seen that, like Phil alluded to there, the lads walking out in, the, in Bern today for the United game and the TIFOs in the crowd and the scarves going everywhere. It like felt like proper football again. The Champions League anthem, not empty stadiums, players looking around going, right, can we just get the fucking show on the road now? Because it was more like a hobby or a job to them last year, whereas they're playing now in these cauldrons again. And that's what European football is all about. And that's why I just can't wait for tomorrow night because I think I said it. Like after my whole life waiting on a Premier League title, I got more buzz out was winning the European Cup and the European Cup wins. I love the good cup runs, especially in the Champions League, because when you get to the quarters and the semis in Anfield, it's just it's absolutely mental. Like there's nothing like a, a European night at Anfield. And just knowing that tomorrow night is a proper Champions League clash like between because Milan haven't been around for a while in terms of the Champions League. I think they're nearly a decade outside it, like um and they're back in now and they're a proper club with heritage as Mourinho would say they've got European <laughs> heritage and it's us against them tomorrow night and Earhall group it looks like a Champions League group and I was looking at some of the groups tonight now the fact this game's kicking off at 5 o'clock in the Champions League it is a little bit Europa League to me like when I look at United's group it is a bit of a Europa League group if I'm being honest 
Hold, hold that thought because we, we we're going to spend a little bit of time on on looking ahead to to tomorrow night and 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 some of the the storylines around that. But I, I want to dive in just a little bit. Uh, I just want to touch on some of the, the things that we picked up off the back of the Leeds game and and what that could mean for the rest of Liverpool season. And Conroy, I'll come to you first because one of the areas that I want to start with, and it's not necessarily linked to uh, Liverpool as such. It's more around Leeds setup and. A little bit of naivety, if I will, from Leeds in terms of how they set up, um, you know, this much maligned kind of uh, man marking system across the pitch that they employ. And I think you you said this actually after uh, I think it was on the Fat Back Four show, in that it was kind of like a perfect opponent for Liverpool to play in a way because of the amount of gaps that we were able to to find exploit. Um, what did you make of? that setup because I watched the game back um, earlier and I think for me, one of the things that kind of shocked me was just how easy Leeds made it for Liverpool in, in some parts. You know, we were creating chances at will. The thing is, Jamie, I know I actually read some of the comments after the fat, the fat back four and I think people are saying, was I happy with the win? Just to clarify, I was delighted with the win, but the thing was, it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, Maybe I'm maybe too level-headed all the time, but it's like, as I said, there was one point where we played a straight ball through the middle and Salah literally just like flicked it on and Jota was was in it, I think one-on-one or like, you know, it was two-on-two at that point. And it was so easy. That's why I wasn't getting carried away at the weekend because I genuinely think Leeds played into our hands so much. And and I can't get my head around because I've been speaking to a few people about this. Now, Leeds were a bit like that at the start of last season, and then they got better, especially their home form. The 1-1 draw with, with us is a prime example of that. And then there was a, they, they seemed to have a good record going into the, finishing the season off. So I don't know what... I'm not actually sure what Bielsa's trying to do. He's still consistently trying to play Rodrigo as a kind of attack in mid behind Bamford. They just... Equivalently, I think it was a, it was a 4-1-4-1, basically, basically Calvin Phillips... And then, and then if you, you saw the game, Jota was actually playing kind of Firmino-esque, dropping deeper to kind of be on him or be just behind him to get it until it was to break. I found it very easy. And the reason I said that in the fat back four was we should have scored about three in the first half. I was disappointed with being 1-0. And it wasn't even a case of like we were cutting them open. It, it, to me, they, to me uh, the next game against Palace, I'll learn more about where we are for the season in the Leeds game. Because I just felt like... I'd, I don't know what's happening right now. The, the United game away when they lost 6-2 should have been alarm bells. As much as I think Bielsa is a great coach, he seems to have went backwards this season for some reason. That might be personnel. I know Click was missing, but I've got to be honest, Jamie, I don't know what the rest of the guys think. I'm a bit confused to why how he could go for being so good at adapting it towards the end of last season and not being so open, but still having a, a kind of a, a philosophy like that. To just this season, just yeah, I don't know. Uh, if you're playing against Liverpool, that's the last thing you do. So I still don't know why it happened, but yeah, I'll take the three 0 win. Delighted with it. <laughs> I, Phil, I'll come to you because one of the things, um, yeah, f- first first things first. It sounds really simplistic to say this, but I think what Leeds are suffering from, you know, when they go man for man all over the pitch, ultimately they're struggling against the top sides because they're doing it against better players. 
you know, yes. and, and ultimately, if you're having individual battles with better players, more often than not, you're going to come unstuck. But that said, I think one thing that probably went under the radar a little bit was tactically. I think Liverpool did a fantastic job on Calvin Phillips, uh, not only in, in terms of how we stopped the supply into him, but ultimately stopped him being able to influence the game. And everything that Leeds does that is good seems to go through him and, and he, he wasn't able to influence how he would normally do. No, and I think as well, um, Conroy touched on Jota, but Jota and Manny were, were switching a lot and they, and they did they do it seamlessly as well. And um, I, I, Look, there's I, there's a lot of Leeds fans in, in my office and I was talking to them about this over the last few days and they don't expect to beat the likes of Liverpool or Manchester United or City. It's what they do against the teams in the bottom half and they probably will have enough to beat them because, like you said, they go one-to-one on poorer players, they'll have more success. Now, I thought at half time it was only 1 0. I was thinking this is a little bit like last season where Liverpool have had loads of chances in the first half, haven't put them away. You need that second goal, and Liverpool got it. So that just made the second half that bit more comfortable. Obviously, the, the game, the flow was disrupted with the, the injury to Harvey Elliott, and eventually Mane put his chance away. But yeah, Liverpool obviously, I mean, they looked a lot more comfortable. There was the concern before the game that selecting. Elliot and Thiago in a midfield against a team that has runners in it wasn't the wisest thing, but Leeds couldn't get the ball off Liverpool. So there was a little patch of a little spell in the second half where I thought Liverpool were sloppy. And actually, it all it kind of leads to the the, the injury. I mean, that comes from Alisson and Matip, a bit of a breakdown there. Eventually, Fabinho gets his foot on the ball and clips the ball over to Elliot, and that's where he gets on it. But that was because there was a lack of control from Liverpool at the time. And it's almost like Elliot was destined to suffer that injury because we know Jordan Henderson was all stripped, ready to replace him. And unfortunately, the the lad is sitting in the hospital after getting an operation. But um, yeah, look, I, I think Liverpool leads are perfect for the likes of Liverpool, for Manchester United, for Chelsea, for Manchester City, just to pick them apart. Shawnee, I, I want to come to you on possibly my favourite topic when it comes to, to football at the moment, and that is my mate Thiago. Um, and, and particularly Phil touched on something there. Um, and it was very much kind of spoken about. How, in the how, many, how many minutes are in, Jimmy? How many minutes are in? <laughs> I know, how long did I, I, that take? Uh, get yourselves comfortable, lads, because we might be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting for this moment. Um, no, I, I think from my side, I, you know, I, I looked at the game and... <clears throat> I wasn't surprised to see Thiago come in and, and Shawnee. I think it was it was fair to say that Hendo didn't look his most comfortable when playing on the left-hand side against Chelsea. Um, I, I think everything that he does naturally was kind of taken away from him. It might seem like it's a similar position, but anyone that's played football would know that it's not. Everything's on the opposite side. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised to see Thiago come in, but I suppose the, the real plus for me when looking at that performance is... Tiago's now starting to get his flowers and that hasn't always been the case. It was very much a patchwork job last year. He, he, he was he was kind of square peg, round holes. Liverpool's shape was all over the place. Its spine was gone. Whereas now you're starting to see what Tiago can do when he's in a team with its proper structure and he's able to influence the game and be more creative. How impressed were you with his performance? Yeah, like you said, Jamie, I think when he came in last year, he was kind of shoehorned into that position. Just 
just because he was a body at that stage and that's how bad it was for us last year he was in a fit and available body after being out for so long which we forget because I think he missed I think he missed nearly three months of the season after the, the, the challenge from Richarlison and then you see the run he goes on in the back end of the season where he but kind of comes in you could see him being a little bit of a leader you could see the likes of Phillips and Williams kind of warming to him but like the slander this fella has put up with like we're literally talking about, and I don't think I'm going overboard saying this. We're literally talking about one of the best fellas to ever play this position. But like, he came, he comes from that Bayern Munich side where I, he absolutely bosses a Champions League final. This is why we were all fawning over the fella. So he was brought in with along Jota to kind of transform us, so to speak, give us a different element in the midfield. And he was never, he never got to express that. But now I'm starting to see that, Jamie. Look, look what can you say about the fella? The, the, the best thing you can have, the best thing uh, attribute you can have in football to me is to always look like you have time, and that's the thing with Thiago. When that game was going a hundred mile an hour on the weekend, he was just putting his foot on the ball and picking the pass and picking leads apart, and they couldn't get near him. The, the nearest man to him, they couldn't get near him. I would, I would have went when I saw the starting lineup. I was thinking maybe he should have went my hand though, because I'm thinking you're gonna want to. You're not going to outrun Leeds, but you're going to want to have the challenge. Them. But Klopp looked at it completely different and said, I'm just going to take control of this game, take it away from them completely. And that's exactly what he done. Because when you go to grounds like Villa Park or Ellen Road, even Anfield, ne- Neville always talks about when he's talking about Anfield, the first 10 or 15 minutes, you have to weather a storm because the fans are going to be bang up for it. Liverpool done that perfectly. They had a little bit of a stretch the first, the first half. It was kind of tiff at that. It was like a basketball game. And I think that suits them. It's like when a tech, technical boxer fights a power puncher. You don't want to get pulled into a slugfest. You know what I mean? You want to use what your weapons to the best of your ability. And that's exactly what Thiago allowed us to do on Sunday. He was absolutely brilliant. And one thing I will say, Jamie, one part of asset, part of his game that's massively overlooked is just how well he is at just pinching possession away <laughs> sometimes. When it looks like a second ball is going to drop to leads, he's coming in and mopping up. Doing the exact same he, he had the most ball recoveries in the across yeah. the whole team. I think it was nine yeah. off the top of my head, exactly. which is unbelievable. Considering how brilliant Fabinho also was to be top of that stat would show you just how good he was. He's a metronomic player. Like people, the thing is with football that annoys me most is it's people look at stats now as the only way to measure a player. Some players it's just pure eye test. Thiago is part like he is eye test incarnate. That's exactly what he does. You don't actually see on the stats sheet what he does. Now, we're going to pull up numbers of all the passes and all he does. But just his assurance, his ability to pick that pass, to slow the game down when it needs to be slowed down. People saying he was killing us last year, but he's not. That's what he does. He controls the tempo of the game. He's completely different to anything we have. And I actually can't wait now to see with a run of games. Because he actually, he hasn't been starting many games. I think that was his fourth start in the league, was it? Am I right? So... We're going to see the best of Thiago now. And look, the sky is the limit for this fella. Just like Ronaldo come and being one of the best players to ever play his position, do not get it twisted. Thiago is off the charts good. And I'm just delighted we have him now. It's funny that you say about the tempo piece, because I think sometimes people don't don't understand you know, how important that can be in that 
you know, it's this uh, negative connotation of a backwards or a sideways pass because for me, sometimes you just need to take the sting out of a game, particularly if you're playing in a hotbed like Ellen Road. You, right. you can feel, you can nearly feel the, them building a bit of a head of steam, a bit of momentum, and then all of a sudden you just suck the life out of them by keeping the ball. Uh, Conroy, one thing I suppose that's that's overlooked a little bit sometimes with Thiago and, and Gav, if you could pull up the graphic of, of him when pressed, because I think this is... Look, I, I played centre midfield, and this is the thing I love so much about Thiago. If you look at the graphic that's on the screen, he's receiving the ball in what would be an awkward position because he's about to be pressed. He's facing away from um, uh, away from goal. Um, it's an opportunity for Leeds to use a pressing trigger and try and put us on a little bit of pressure. An elite centre midfielder like Thiago doesn't just excel in this position. But if you move on to the next graphic, Gav, he actually is able to pivot his body, drop his shoulder actually beat the press on his own. And automatically now you've got, I think it's three or four Leeds players that have committed to that first press. We've now broken it. And instead, what Thiago's now able to do, if you move on to the next one, Gav, is he actually pings a 30, 40-yard pass into the feet of Mo Salah. And all of a sudden, we've gone from a difficult position into a very promising attacking position. Conroy, to have somebody like that in the ranks, you know, especially against teams that are looking to press and disrupt us, it's is worth its weight in gold. No, absolutely. And I think I'd, I'd said, I'd, I'd obviously made a few tongue-in-cheek comments about Thiago, but that was only really because of, see, when he came in, I was buzzing, we're all buzzing, and I know how good he is. That's why I'm making the comments, because at times he's that good that I do think, he's not lax a day, days ago, that's not the wrong word, but even like... You know, the, the Leeds game there, um, is it Bamford nearly scores from his own half? To me, that's like Thiago. He'll, he'll give the ball once a game. But like I, I think that's maybe just his Liverpool career. I know he's like Chelsea debut, gave a penalty away and stuff. Like He's a tremendous player. So it's more just a tongue-in-cheek thing with me about that. I, I'm not surprised at this at all. I, I feel like he, 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 there was numerous circumstances, some his own. Like last season, I do think at point, he's a bit erratic. I do feel like because the team was flat and not a lot in it, he was trying, he was over, over trying to the wrong word. He was overthinking his game. Would you agree with that, lads? He was maybe trying to do stuff. You know, we talk about that game at the weekend. It's just a case of press resistant, playing his game like metronomic, as you said, Shawnee. I do feel like there were some games last season he felt like he had to try and run all over the place and, and, and be something he wasn't. I feel like the team's back and he, he'll just slot in and he won't, doesn't have to overthink it now. And I feel like, He's going to be great. I said at the start, I think he'll be, and could be in the team of the year if he and he gets the run of games. I think he'll be outstanding. And also, sorry, Jamie, I'll let you come in the now, mate. But the press resistant thing, I feel like it was Keith made a point at the weekend. He said that's why he thinks Harvey Elliott and Thiago were picked in midfield to play next to Fabinho because they are probably two of the best press resistant are up there in our team, especially Thiago. And that that proved the reason. That I actually watched. I remember that clip. That was actually outstanding because I actually thought. He wasn't going to get that when he turned him. I didn't think he was going to make it, and he did. I thought he was going to lose his balance. He's, he's tremendous. But I think with the team coming together, you said it last week, Jamie, we're kind of just staying under the radar now. Like I think people are forgetting we have got one of the best midfielders in the world in the last you know last decade. And, of course, that's going to be great for us. I just I love the way we're going, guys. I love the media can do what they want. I'm quite happy with us to just be under the radar because how many games we've got left? We just need to win, win them all. We'll be fine. It's, it's can funny I just say you say something? 
Am I the only one who giggles when he does the little drop of the shoulder and all? Oh, I do more than giggle, mate. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Jamie always just giggle to myself like a little schoolgirl. Yeah, (laughs) he done it against Burnley. Done it against Burnley. Done it against Burnley. Like he done the done the shimmy and then he went past the guy. Yeah, he's he's tremendous. I was only joking against Burnley. I think I was winding Jamie up and he gave the ball in the last two minutes. But that's because he is that good that I feel like it's like a next level. And to be honest, guys. After that performance on Saturday, obviously really sad about Elliot, but I mean, the choices in midfield is good for us as well. You've got Keita coming back, who's actually been reasonably quite good as well. It's a good problem to have for Klopp. It is, and and you said about him not being able to play his natural game um, last season and he had to cover big spaces. We're actually going to touch on that when we we talk about the defence and the defensive structure because I think that's one of the reasons why he he was having to do that, but it's it's definitely a fair point. Phil, I want to come to you on his midfield partner um, because I think now when Fabinho and Thiago have started alongside each other, I think it's nine games in the Premier League, eight wins, one draw, these two just seem to be, you know, it's it's kind of hand-in-glove stuff. They just dovetail so well. I think the first time we saw it, I think it was away at Ajax, don't quote me, uh, potentially when, when those two played together as a two and they were just, they were unbelievable. And it just seems like there's a lovely balance between the two. Um, not only, as Sean, said, in winning that ball back, both are good in, in possession, both are physical, um, but more importantly, there's that perfect blend of kind of creativity and nous between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I picked Fabinho as my man of the match. I thought he was excellent. And I suppose when Thiago was having to play at the, the base of the, the midfield in that position, he found himself in positions that he doesn't want to be in where he's trying, he has to cover ground that he's not used to. And he was throwing himself into tackles and that's not how Liverpool defend. Liverpool have a great disciplinary record. They don't tend to have to lunge into tackles because they're so well-structured. They hunt in packs. That That's how they dispossess you. They don't need to start throwing themselves around. Thiago, there was a phase last season where he was giving away frees all the time. You think back to the, the Leicester game, and you could see Henderson balling him out of it, just like giving out, just saying, why do you do this? And they scored from the free kick, Leicester, and then obviously things went from bad to worse in that game. But he's now obviously going to be playing a more suited role from where Fabinho will do that work from. Henderson is probably going to come into the team now that Elliot's out injured. And Thiago will be the, the guy that runs the show in midfield. And look, it's not as if he's a chump when it comes to winning the ball back, but He's just not as effective in terms of his positional sense as Fabinho. So having them, there's a bit together, of the more scholes about him, I think, when it comes. Yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I would. I wouldn't say he's as bad as scholes, but there was spells last season where, yeah, he was giving away free kicks and it was frustrating, and there was no need for it. But you can see sometimes, like he's quite a good presser as well. But sometimes he just he's a little bit too eager. But you can see already. He's learning, like he's learning how to play the way Klopp wants to play. And obviously it helps the fact that all the the front line players are back now and it's not a a patched up team like it was last season. It's so, like it just always cracks me up how quickly players get tossed aside because they have a few bad games. And like last season, there was so many things going against Liverpool from obviously the fact that 
everyone was in the same boat, not playing with fans. The games were played behind closed doors. Liverpool had no centre-halves. Now we're starting to see what Thiago's about, and you'd imagine he's just going to get better. And I can imagine you, actually, with the shoulder drop, I would imagine it's the kind of move that you use when you, you walk through the door of a of the kitchen or something. You, you practice it just to, to see, can you do it? But it is. It's, it's, it's great. It just shows that little burst of pace over the first few yards. And, you know, he's so sharp as well over the first few yards in his brain as well that he's uh, he's a joy to watch. And, yeah, I... He, we obviously thought he had scored a goal. He's he's brilliant in the air, by the way. He's got some leap on him. Yeah, so um, you know, I know uh, Shawnee touched on it about the, the stats. The stats gurus are looking and going, oh, not enough assists. Well, he, he got his assist on Sunday. But even that, he made that look very easy. Hmm. And it's just having ice in his veins. That's what I love about him. Do you know what it is, Phil? It's when I go to the chocolate cupboard. And uh, the kids have spotted that I've got a bar of chocolates. I've got to give it the old <laughs> shimmy, get away from them and leg it up the stairs. So I've to, I've, thank you, Tiago, for teaching me that. Um, uh, Shawnee, I want, I want to come to you because, look, we, we've got to talk a little bit about Har- Harvey Elliott. And uh, look, it's it's an awkward one because I was incredibly flat when that happened. Yeah. Um, it, I was saying in the WhatsApp group, like it, it took the, the shine off the game for me, you know, We've absolutely waxed lyrical about Harvey Elliott on on this show and and many day tripper shows. I think the kid is is genuinely special, so I was devastated, genuinely devastated to see it happen. And um, before we get into the incident itself, I, I want to look at it from a footballing perspective. And and one of the the patterns that we've seen emerge um, since Elliott has come into the side, because I have to be honest. You know, when we seen the the three in midfield against Everton um, last season, it was Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho. I actually think that as a three is one of the most perfectly balanced three mid uh, three man midfield that you could find. And then Elliot's come in and he's offered us something totally different. And there's a there's a graphic that basically shows the positions that Harvey Elliott has been able to occupy um, in this Liverpool side um, in the early stages of this season. And the relationship that he's been able to form with Mo Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And if you look at the screen, you can compare our shape last season and you can see it's very much a flat midfield three. And then if you look at this season, you can see very much by design, Klopp is pushing Harvey Elliott to stay very close to Trent, very close to Mo Salah and create those overloads on the right from a footballing sense, before we get to to the young lad himself and being devastated from him, it's it's a crime that we're not going to be able to see this a little bit more because it was really starting to develop, wasn't it? Yeah, massively. Like you, you could see, you could see Mo love playing with him. That was a big thing for me. You could see Salah. Like normally, when you you you, you take seventeen, eighteen year olds into the team, you can see at times where the senior players might be reluctant to give them the ball in awkward positions and stuff like that. But that never actually happened with Liverpool. I was at the Burnley game when it was his first start and I was thinking, Jesus, Burnley, like his first start kid. And you could tell after 10 minutes, their left side didn't know who to mark. They didn't know, look, am I going to push up on Trent here? Am I going to stick on this fella? Because he keeps coming outside. Trent's going in then. Because Trent... It's fine Trent going inside then an awful lot when Harvey was pulling out to the right-hand side. And then he's overlapping Salah, and then he's going inside. He was just causing headaches for those the left side. When you see him with Burnley, it got to a stage where all he could do was kick him, Burnley. And and that was when, when Klopp came out and said that after that game, everyone was having a go at Klopp saying, oh, this, that, and the other, and we want the physicality in our game back. But again, he's proven to be right, sadly, 
in, in this case. And I'm just I'm gutted for the kid because he was showing so much promise and it it looked like he was really gonna break through and look he was going to hold on to a spot in the team. I don't think even his his performance on Sunday before he did get injured, he was brilliant again. He was picking up positions. There was a couple of opportunities where it looked like he was going to score. It's, uh, the one thing that stands out for me for such a young lad is his, his decision-making and his, the, the, the choices he makes with his pass. It always seems to be the correct one. And that's not often you see with some of these young players who are a bit more technical or dynamic. So, look... It's it's a shame because I love Henderson in the right side of midfield because he does allow Trent to cheat. But Harvey was giving us this different dynamic that I thought we probably lacked uh, in, in the seasons previous. Even the season we won the league, you are thinking it would be great to have someone who would contribute more to goals from midfield. And I'd imagine that was something that would have really developed in Harvey's game as the season went on, as he became more comfortable. Because you see, he picks up a position on Sunday where he's free in the box and one of the Leeds players gets a block off the line and then he has a follow-up and Melier, he forces Melier to make a save. So, um, I was gutted. I, I share your sentiment with feeling very flat. Uh, I felt like the result didn't really matter after it to me. Uh, that was obviously in the moment and hindsight, it's a brilliant three points, but uh, the reaction of the players, the reaction of Klopp and then I was a little bit sick of the reaction of the media kind of going on about or it wasn't reckless and it shouldn't have been a red card. Like, whatever happened to, to being empathetic towards this young fledgling player coming through, like, another one of these bright lights coming through England's academies and was getting a chance at Liverpool after so many of these pundits said he should be lent out to another Premier League club or a championship club. And everyone just wants to talk about a, a decision that might or might not be wrong. Um, I'm gutted for him. Uh one thing I will say is, uh, looking at the bright side is, with those type of injuries, they would more affect players who rely on their pace. I don't think he's a player that relies too much on his pace. So I think the chances of him making a full recovery will be fairly high, I'd imagine. At a young age, I think he'd be grand going in. And I wish him a speedy recovery. But one thing I will say is, I don't want to see that dynamic go from the team because I have full confidence that Cortis Jones could actually fill that role and do the exact same thing because he is a player who, to me, has similar qualities to Harvey Elliott. So it's good that he will get the chance coming in now because he was sort of becoming the the forgotten lad. There was talk of Villa looking at him and Leeds wanting him. So it's a massive opportunity for him now because we probably would have had Cortis Jones breaking out this season before Elliott, maybe with just some cameos. But yeah, uh, See, do, you mean, do you mean on the left side, Shawnee? Do you mean uh, 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 Curtis Jones on the left side doing what? No, I'd, um, I'd, play, I'd play Jones on the right side and leave on the, right, on the, on the left. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. More or less to try copy what Harvey Elliott had been doing, even though it's not as natural. Jones is a, a very technically gifted player, not to sound like uh, Brendan Rodgers again. This <laughs> sound like a bit of a banger, Brendan, Brendan off you there. <laughs> so, um, look. Gutted for the lad. Hope he makes a full recovery and just thankful now that we do have options in, in midfield that can go in there without him. But what can we do? Conroy, I want to come to you um, before we move on to, to some of the def- defensive stuff. Um, what do you make of the tackle? Because this is, and I say this off the back of the Burnley match last night, because there was a lot of uh, a lot of noise about a couple of tackles that were made uh, last night. Uh, I think it was Brownhill and uh, Tarkov- uh, Tarkovsky. Um, 
look, I love contacting football. I think I said it to you lads in, in the WhatsApp group today. You know, I, I love contacting football. Phil made a point today and I think he's bang on the money. A, a tackle can raise a stadium, you know, to the same levels as a, as a good chance or a goal or an opportunity or a piece of skill. So with that being said, if you're looking at the type of tackle that Elliot received, if you're looking at the type of tackles that went in at Goodison Park last night, are we treading a thin line here, with, uh, you know, between, you know, letting the game flow and, and ultimately creating a lot of problems for future players? I've got to be honest, Jamie, I'm glad you asked this because I, I, not from what you said in the chat, but there seems to be this thing happening on, on social media. Some United fan, Co Conroy's boy. Is that what it is? <laughs> Did he say that his missus was playing GTA before? I think yeah. that's what it is. She's she's on the PlayStation. I'll wait for Conroy to, to come back. It's not like his face is frozen in an uncomfortable position or anything like that. So it's giving us a bit of a Derek vibe there. <laughs> uh, Phil, I'll ask the same question to you, mate. Um, what did you what have you made of, of the 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 kind of the leniency that's come you know, with with tackles and this idea of of letting play continue. Yeah, I'm back. Like, I'm back. <laughs> you're, you're back. I, I suppose. I suppose like that kind of tackle itself. I've seen a few of them this season, and actually one of them, Darrow Shea did one of them on Jota playing for Ireland, and he, obviously Darrow Shea came out the worst in it because if you look at Stroke, the first time I saw it, I thought right, he's made a genuine attempt to go for the ball. And then you'll see a few different angles, and you see his butt, like his whole body's off the ground. So, like as soon as your whole body's off the ground, you're not in control. It's also quite a dangerous one in the fact that you can see what they're trying to do is you're trying to. It's almost like a hook tackle, where you're not quite coming in all the way from behind. It's almost kind of a a mix between behind and at the side. But if you don't get it right, look what happens. And it was the training leg that did the damage. And people say it's it's a full-blooded challenge. It's not as bad as something you would have seen, say, from Juan Basaka, where his was high. And that they're the ones that can, like, you're you're talking about tackles that can actually break a leg because they go in too high. Whereas this was a trading leg that ended up getting Elliot's ankle caught on the ground, and there was nowhere for it to go. But the thing is, the game is played at such speed now that players are going in so fast to each other. That like the whole argument of I got the ball that those days are gone. I mean, you mentioned Tarkovsky last night. He gets the ball, but he absolutely cleans Richarlison out of it. So where do you draw the line? Um, you know, he he did that in front of the the Burnley fans at Goodison. I'd say they are obviously all loving it. But and if it was in front, of, if it, if he was an Everton player and did it in front of the Everton fans, it, you know, they would have stood up and applauded as well. So. Yeah, I, I I kind of was in agreement with Klopp and Solskjaer that weekend where you just have to be careful where we go. I've, I've no problem. You don't want to see players going to the ground holding their face when they don't get touched in the face. That's what we want to cut out of the game. But there is um, there's a fine line and I think Klopp, you could see he was disgusted. Um, I also wonder as well, He got Elliot got clattered a few times against Burnley. And that was a very much welcome to the Premier League, son. And I wonder to Klopp, when he saw Elliot lying there on the ground, did he think, like, did I throw him in too early for the physicality of this, for the physicality of this league? 
or was he just disgusted with the tackle? I don't know. I mean, he was asked what he said to the referee after the game. You could see by the look on his face that it wasn't something that he wanted to, to comment. I'm glad he didn't go, Phil. I'm glad that he didn't go yeah. into it because it just would have created more more of a story than need. And and in saying nothing, he nearly said enough. If that makes sense, you could tell yeah, by yeah. his face. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a few Leeds fans were pissed off that he came onto the pitch, but like you know, I'd say he looks at you, you know the bond that Klopp has with his his players, but in particular, an 18 year old who's just been blooded into the team and he's been a revelation, and you could see it it hit Klopp right in the heart. Like. Yeah, I think, Conroy, to, to come back to you, because I know you wanted to make a point, I think my issue is it's the tackles from behind and it's it's the scissor action that I have a problem with. I have my leg broke with a, with a scissor tackle. It's just your leg's got nowhere to go. It stays in the middle. The two legs go either side and, and it's going to ask for trouble. I think my issue, look, full, full-blooded tackles, love it. Absolutely love it. But the type of tackle that went in on Elliot's, if you come in from uh, from behind, you, and as Phil says, at speed, you're always going to ask for trouble. It's not like the intent was there, but at the same time, you're taking a risk. And it's not about intent now. It's about endangering a player, and that's got to be the key message. Yeah, apologies, guys. I don't know what's happening. Man. And if I cut out again, let I think me know. Your missus, uh, you said your missus was on the PlayStation, did you, before? Did I no, hear right? No, but that, yeah, she was playing GTA, but I, I don't know what's happened there. I'm not sure. But what I was going to say, uh, regard to it, the one thing I, I do disagree with Klopp on this in the sense of he keeps this narrative is let's let, let the game flow. But in my head, and when, I, when I've read about this, that's not the challenges they're letting flow. So that's a missed challenge that they've not seen. The let the game flow is to stop stop and start. So, yes, a, a good challenge like that. But, you know, the, the touches in the back when players are just falling over is to eradicate that. So I've got to be honest, I don't I don't like why the media always goes to let the game flow as if they're saying, I do feel like that's a red card. That challenge, that happens every year. Like, it's a straight red. There's red cards every year. I don't think that challenge happens because let the game flow. However, I do think the Burnley ones last night probably is. And that's one we have to look at. But... I've got to be honest, I still, I just think there's going to be red cards every year and I feel like it's an easy narrative to say we're changing that and that's why players are getting hurt. Uh, like players, these injuries happen every year, if you know what I mean. And I just, I feel like it's kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't at the moment. And for me, letting the game flow, that 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 doesn't mean those challenges. Those challenges just shouldn't happen. It's to stop the a player falling like he's been shot by a sniper and then turning around in embarrassment because he's not got a free kick and the game's going on because that's what the Euro's done and that's why it was so good. So I do kind of disagree with that narrative going about the new, now on, on social media. For me, I like the way the games have been refed and, and these challenges shouldn't be happening. Like the Burnley one, that's you can maybe argue for me still still studs high and, and you can't be allowing that. I'll have to watch it again. But the Elliot one for me, it's just a... As Phil said, it's a trailing leg. Intent's never been in the rule book. It's a red card. There's no argument. Um, it doesn't mean the guy's a bad person. I just, for me, it's it's um, it's either it's, we're so extremist now. It's either one or the other, and that that's what frustrates me. But I, I'm happy with the way the way the, the the football is now. I've got to be honest. I think some of the best, consistently best games I've seen for a long time. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're on a, a line. I feel like those challenges should be eradicated. Because in my opinion, that's not that's not what making the game flow means. I don't know if you agree with that, guys. And my screen keeps breaking up. I don't know if you can see me okay. I might have to come, no, you, come you out look, and come back in. You look great, mate. Don't worry. You look great. 
Right. I'll come. What I'll do is I'll just well, hang up and come back in if that's all right because my screen's not moving now. Okay. No, you're all good for uh, us, mate. But you yeah. knock off for a second and come yeah. back on. I want to go. I want to. I want to move to Shawnee on there uh, on on the defensive side of things because uh, doing a, a little bit of work with Sam Maguire. Uh, shout out to Sam for helping us out. Um, a lot around the defensive stability that's now coming from this Liverpool team. And look, we've got to caveat that uh, you know with the fact that. Other than the Chelsea game, we have been playing teams that you would expect Liverpool to to beat. But at the same time, there's a lot of trends that are coming out from these first four games that that are really positive. And um, you know, you're looking at the spine, Shawnee, you're looking at Allison, you're looking at Matip, you're looking at Van Dyke, and you're looking at Fabino. This has all the hot hallmarks of a proper Liverpool team again. Now, the the difference, you know, this this is miles away from the Liverpool team that we seen last season. Yeah, like. You need to think about. I think we went through twenty different centre back partnerships last year. Um, one thing that Jurgen Klopp has always been big on, and he, I think it's it's one of the things he always alludes to when he talks about his team selection. He's massive on rhythm. Klopp has always been massive on players being in rhythm and this system. But Klopp has built a well oiled machine uh, off the back of this spine, and when that went missing last year, it was no surprise that the well-oiled machine just wasn't working anymore because the the vital cogs weren't there. But now we have them again. And like people thought last year, oh, well, they're only missing their centre-halves. They're not scoring goals. Liverpool's issue is they're not scoring enough goals and they're not attacking as well. Our defenders being there are actually imperative to how our set-up works and our attack. Because it, naturally, when we have our spine there, we're 10, year, 10 yards further up the pitch, for starters, with Van Dijk and Matip there. That high line is always there. You're squeezing the opposition, so you're giving them way less up, uh, space to operate. And that's exactly what we did. We suffocate teams with that just constant pressure and being high up. And one thing that we do, and I don't think we get enough credit for, and it's what, one thing that annoys me, that everyone always goes on about teams getting loads of chances against Liverpool. 90% of them, are off sides that I just caught late where the striker goes through and he ends up hitting the ball at the keeper or wide and everyone was going, oh, that high line is going to cause Liverpool hassle down the line. But it actually doesn't because that, the machine, it's just so well-oiled that every single time it's offside, 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 offside. And it's almost like it's being coached that way and it's by design. You know what I mean? People think we're just getting lucky and these players are going too early. It's literally an art form that we've perfected with those there. And then you have Alisson then in the back. It just makes all the difference, Jamie. And the thing is, you could kind of see last year, teams having a go at us. But you could see after two or three attacks, the Leeds attackers were demoralised because the ball was just going down the channel and Van Dijk is just swatting them away, swatting them away like flies. And then you talk about the attacking impetus that they bring. The first goal comes completely from Matip. Matip going on a wandering run like... Bilbo Baggins, I'm going on an adventure. And the Leeds players are looking around going, I don't know what to do here. But the fella then has the goal when he gets the sec- when he gets the wall pass off Mo. I'm not just going to play him straight in. I'm going to play Trent in down the side and then bang. It It's a dynamic of the team we've missed so much. And then don't get me started on Virgil zinging 70-yard diagonals all over the place. And teams just don't know what to do because we just choke and suffocate teams now. And that's what we're doing. I think we've... Uh- Four, three clean sheets in four games. And this is no surprise that we are operating now as we should with 
the best goalkeeper in the world, arguably the best home midfielder in the world, and the best defensive partnership in the world at the moment. We are playing as we like to play. So it's no surprise to me that these dominating performances are starting to stack up. And before you know it, when we're seven, eight, nine, ten games in, all this talk about Liverpool not making signings and only getting the players out that we missed last year, people are going to be thinking, Jesus Christ, this is the team that ran away in the league in 1920 and they seem to be doing again what they did so much that season. Just manhandling teams without getting out of second gear. I'm, I'm glad that you said suffocating and then compared us to 1920 because Phil, I want to come to you. We've got a we've got a graphic, and again, um, this is some work that that Sam has done um, in analysing, I suppose, the, the the setup of this Liverpool team and how it's differed from the the two, the, the, the 19 season when we got 97 points, then when we obviously won the league, um, and then ultimately, um, uh, ultimately as we look to the the first four games and what the the, the graphic will show um, is we're very much looking to condense the central area of the pitch. And the reason that we're able to do that, I think if you pull up the graphic uh, that has all the the red bars on it, um, basically what you can see from these graphics is where Liverpool look to engage the opposition. So as you'll see on the screen now, the lighter red bars are where Liverpool try to engage the team. So where are they putting the press? Where are they making the tackles? And as you can see, when you move through uh, the different periods, so far left, it's it's basically spread out across the whole pitch. And what this ultimately means is Liverpool had to press higher up the pitch because they didn't trust their back line, which meant that, like we said earlier, the midfield had to run a hell of a lot more. Um, so we were basically engaging teams all over the pitch. There was no real structure to the Liverpool team. Then if you compare to, uh, I suppose, one of our most successful seasons in the club's history, um, there's a there's much more definition in that that sort of mid to high zone is where Liverpool are, do, are looking to condense the space. They're looking to put the squeeze on the team. And then if you look to the far right now, albeit it's only four games into the season, so it's probably a, a small sample size. Look at how small and condensed Liverpool are making the pitch. They are swarming teams. They are dominating centrally, like we have done when we've been at our most successful. And that is in part down to the fact that we now have a defensive line that we know we can push right up. We can make the pitch as small as possible. We've got midfielders that know the system, know the shape and and can now ultimately do the job that Klopp wants them to do. And we've got attackers now that are pressing again. So you've got Jota, who's a press machine, Mane, Salah. And all of a sudden, Liverpool have become this very horrible team to play against, which ultimately don't give you time to settle and are are, are literally squeezing life out of you, which is great to see, Phil. Absolutely. And I mean, the pressing, it's it's amazing how the gap started appearing last season. We, We touched on it earlier with Thiago. He was having to run after people that, you know, it's not really... One of his strengths, his strength is obviously on the ball. But if you're a little bit off with your press and obviously the opposition get a little bit of space and they play through it, then it doesn't matter how good your defence is. If there's that space in behind and you're playing against quality players in the Premier League, they're going to be able to pick a pass. Whereas now, yeah, you'll see balls played in over the top of the Liverpool defence, but it's going to have to be one hell of a pass because the player playing the pass is under serious pressure and we obviously know how good Allison is at sweeping. And people always referred back to the Villa game at Villa Park last season and say, oh, Van Dijk was playing. But Adrian was playing in goal, completely different, where 
there was a few of those goals where the ball was played over and Adrian was stuck to his line like his feet were stuck in cement, whereas Alisson will come out and, and sweep. And obviously, if you're anyone in that back four, you have that comfort of knowing that Alisson is going to play that ball or is going to get to any ball that's played in behind. But it's just it just means that we're obviously, there's the, the gaps aren't there. We're getting the ball back quicker. And obviously, the quicker we get the ball back, the more disorganized the opposition are. And they need just you've, you've three players that you can just fizz a ball at and they'll just go and do their thing. Salah looks so sharp at the moment. Um, I think Junior Firpo found out soon enough after the first few minutes of the game just how strong he is. That You can try and tackle him, but his his core strength, like his ties are huge and you can't get the ball off him. I know we'll probably talk about Mane's finishing touch the other day wasn't great, but his all-round game was still very good and he's just an absolute handful. And then Jota, again, probably wasn't his best game, but he's just all action where he doesn't give you a second whether he has the ball or he doesn't have the ball. So, yeah, like there has been a lot said about Liverpool not bringing in players, but when you see the way they're playing at the moment, you can understand why Klopp is thinking, why would I spend millions on players that are going to be sitting on the bench? Now, this, this is something that could come back to haunt Liverpool later in the season, but even we mentioned Everton. Everton's two of their match winners last night, they, their grand total was a couple of million. I mean, you don't have to spend 50 million on a player, but it just seems that the transfer market or the transfer window, it's all about you have to spend more than everyone else. Timo Werner was a player that Liverpool were meant to get. Imagine they'd spent 50 million on him and he performed the way he did for Chelsea last season in a Liverpool jersey when Liverpool were a bit of a shambles given all the injuries. Then people were saying, geez, that, that guy was a, a complete waste of money. I'm sorry, I'm getting off the point here. Look, the, the Liverpool first 11 at the moment is purring nicely. So long may it continue. Conroy, I, I want to come to you because Phil touched on on the forwards. And before we move to a, AC Milan, I just want to touch on on Mane and, and Jota in particular because a lot was said about Sadio Mane off the back of this game. And I'd be very much of the thinking that I would worry more if a striker wasn't getting into goal scoring positions and looking like scoring goals. That's when I that's when I worry, uh, you know, when a, when a striker is painfully out of form. But if you actually look at Mane's stats, yes, he's missing some chances, but he's actually ranking very high in the Premier League in terms of his offensive output. Um, you know, he's he's um, he's, he's obviously scored uh, a couple of goals. Um, you know, but ultimately he's getting into a lot of positions where he's ultimately able to affect the game. Uh, you know, he's second in the league in terms of touches in the opposition box. He's first in the league in terms of shots att- attempted, uh, expected goals. He's first in the league. So this is a guy whose offensive output is very very high. Are you concerned about the fact that he's kind of going back to the Andy Cole school of finishing where he has seven chances and scores one or two? Uh, or do you think that, you know, he's, he's, he's only one game away from scoring a bag full? Concern's the wrong word. Um, th- this is where I do think stats are deceiving sometimes because if you watch that game, you know when he gets maybe edge of the box, his confidence is absolutely gone at beating a man or, or cutting in and having a shot. Like there's a moment where he has a good chance, he can maybe pass the Salah, he can take it himself, and he ends up just 
taking too long and ends up rolling at his left and shooting. It was just not very good. I, I, I do think he played quite well at points and um, I actually thought he was beating men, which was good to see. Um, so don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's not got that. That It's not like his pace has disappeared. He was, as Phil said, he had a few moments where he showed his strength and he was being effective. I'm not disputing that. However, I do definitely feel like a couple of years ago, if Manny got in a position on the left-hand side, he'd just drop the shoulder, come inside and have a shot. It might not go in, but you you knew there was confidence behind that strike. At the moment, I'm not seeing that. I, I do feel like at times, I, I'm not worried, but I, I feel like you're going to see a lot of that this season where he's maybe second-guessing himself. And maybe, as you say, Jamie, it's going to take one game where everything falls and everything goes in, scores a hat-trick and he gets that back. But... I thought it was confidence, and now I'm now I'm not sure. It, it could be confidence. It just to me, he seems like he's overthinking when he's getting in good positions, and uh, that's maybe my biggest problem. Will that change if he still chips in with 15 goals a season? It's not really going to matter because the players around him will create the chances. However, after watching the game on uh, Sunday, I thought it was a, 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 a well, I was going to say enigmatic, but it's, he seemed like an enigma to me after it because the actual goalie scores at the very end looked like a lethal finish to be fair you know just put his foot through at bottom corner no baller but I don't know if the guys agree to me at the moment I just don't trust his decision making at the moment I just feel like if if it's if it's the right decision is obvious he'll pick the wrong one or he'll try to do it and he'll, he'll, he'll not pull it off however he did have a lot of positives on Sunday don't get me wrong I'm just worried's the wrong word but I do think his decision making's off I I I'm kind of of the thinking. I I I trust Sadio will, will come good. I think he's like he looks like he's affecting the game. Not so much in his 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 finishing, but his hold up play. He's 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 driving. He's looking to to influence. He's pulling people out of position. I I, I think it's one of those where he's he's only a couple of games away from getting getting a bag bolt, bolt full for me. But Shawnee, I want to touch on. In the line, Jamie, do you think, see when Sadio Mane is running a player now, right, and to take him wide, do you think he's going to beat him down the side anymore? Because I, I don't, and that's maybe just age, but I can't see him doing that anymore. Do, do you know the, what I think the, it is? I think sometimes with footballers... The opposition defender, the opposition on, defender still thinks that, because he's still causing havoc. Yeah, no, I'm not saying, yeah, I, I can't havoc, deny that. And that's, that's like what Jamie said, when a goal-scoring player is not getting into goal-scoring positions, that's when you worry. Finishers can be erratic. That can happen. But once he like he scored more goals in the last nine Premier League games and international games than any other winger in the Premier League. So again, it could be more or less the, the opportunity we are looking at. Oh, well, it's taken him eight or nine to get one. I've I've remembered Mane like that since he signed for Liverpool. To be honest with you, like, oh no, I would, I would agree with that, mate. I just think decision making at times is a bit. There's a couple of seasons where. The, when he just everything he was hitting was going in, but that can happen. Then by the Napoli game, where Allison had to make the last oh, minute, yeah. he, he missed about thirteen chances that night. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. just that's yeah. And then he missed it in the last minute as well. That was yeah. like when we so, had one two nil. Somebody, somebody is going to be on the end of a hat trick. The thing with me with Mane is he's actually come out himself and he was very open about how mentally he did struggle and he was wondering was it a physical thing or a mental thing, but. He still looks physically okay to me. The pace is still there. I don't think he's lost a yard. I don't think he has yet. And you can still tell that sent a fullbacks and centre halves are they're backing up when he's running at them. And that once that's still there, once the fear of the opposition is still there, 
then he just needs to keep playing his game because it will come from and it will drop. You know what I mean? We, we're just used to looking at Mane, uh, Salah and Jota at the moment too. Like Jota is, uh, Brian Kerr used the one I love it, Dead Eye Dick. Like as soon as Aaron drops him <laughs> in the box, he just buries it. You know what I mean? Like it, it, He's great with his head and that's that just the different type of attackers. You know what I mean? Mane is still doing these little wall passes where he's bouncing off Jota and I'm not worried about I think no, I'm, not, I'm not worried, yeah. mate. I just I just think just that's how I saw the game on Sunday. That was all. I'm not worried. People, about, are, actually, right, people are writing off and saying he's finished and all. Like, Klopp made a good point. Like, the lads are only at 30. Like, footballers go on way longer than they used to. Like, the culture has changed completely in the game. Like, the way they take after themselves outside of football will, will lend to them having longer careers. So, yeah. I think this is where we need to be a little bit more open-minded to the talk of uh, they're over the hill now and they're 30 and they're no use to anybody. It's it's not like that anymore. It's not like when yeah. lads hit 30 years of age now, they get the spread and you see them getting a little bit fatter and chunkier. Yeah. Th- these lads are still well-oiled machines. You know what I mean? Going well into 32, 33, especially Salah and Mane. That, that's just the way it is with them. But I do agree that it would be nice to have some sort of an alternative on the bench there just to take him out when it's not happening for him. That's, and I think that's maybe down the line something we might address in January but I think he'd be grand he'd probably go on and score a hat-trick tomorrow night of the, and he'll score the, the three most ridiculous Difficult. chances he gets yeah. on right? yeah. <laughs> Mate, that, that chance with his left foot was harder than he, honestly it was Melier and the defender ran out he just that, had to chip it over the keeper that's, but that's where he's at now I just feel like He's, that's always he is, been, oh, he is, I know I agree with that mate but I do feel like so he's the just, one against Man City the, the one against Man City when uh, eight when in the, the league post. No, he just swipes at it. He just swipes at the ball oh, and he sliced, it. Yeah. he sliced it into the top corner. Like you know, it's yeah. just one of them things that can happen. I think. Yeah. I think do, grand, you know we look way too much into it. But if you actually look at his numbers, they're not actually too dissimilar to where he had been in the seasons where he was probably our best player. Do, do you know what I always say to the to the kids I coach? The worst thing that you can give footballers sometimes is time. And I think some of the opportunities that Sadio has had, he's had too much time. And then the you, you know they start to overthink it, and then all of a sudden the chance is gone. Whereas like with his goal, he, that was purely on instinct. It was fat. Tiago rolled it back. It was touch, turn, bang. Didn't think about it. That was all he had to do, and it was a goal. So I I, I think sometimes. Yeah, probably a, 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 the ghosts of maybe, uh, you know, some of the chances he's missed. He just put him through and he's thinking, should I go there? Should I go? And then all of a sudden the chance is gone. So I'm I'm, I'm not overly concerned. Shawnee, I just want to come back to you just to finish off before we move on to tomorrow night. Just on Diogo Jota, because I, I think he's a mad character, uh, Jota. I, whenever I watch him, he seems like he's a different type of attacker. Um, and there's been a, a, an evolution. Again, it's only four games this season. So, you know, caveat is small sample size. But not only has he shown in his time at Liverpool that he's an absolutely deadly finisher. You know, he gets he, he's running across the blind side of defenders. He's scoring headers. He's 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 getting tappings. He's scoring great goals. But now, what you're starting to see over uh, the the start of this season is he's becoming very much a creator. And as you can see on the graphic on the screen, highlighted in green, comparing this season to to what he did last season. He's, he's now starting to to assist a lot more. He's becoming very much a creator. And, and I think you saw that at the weekend. Yeah, 100%. Like, the one thing we level at Bobby is he doesn't get enough goals, but we let we give Bobby the leeway because he does, he's a disruptor. And we everyone saw Jota as the polar opposite to that, as, look, he's not going to do all the pressing and getting about. And 
distract, distracting Holden midfielders from that rhythm. He's just going to be hanging around the box and getting goals because that's what he did so well for us last year. But um, he he is a mad player, I get, which is like some games he reminds me of Suarez, where he's everywhere, and and then there's other games where he reminds me of Raul, where he gets one chance and he takes it, and the ball gets flashed across the box, and he's a header or a tap in away. Um, he's showed it was Phil said he wasn't really in the game on on Sunday. I see what you're saying, but I seen something from Jota on Sunday that I hadn't really noticed before. The amount he was torn and getting torn on the ball and holding the ball up a little bit more because I he was a player I'd associate with getting in behind all the time. But then he was down the role of Bobby where he was dropping in and popping the ball off to the midfielders and creating space for the lads to run into. He he said he knew, I think he's the one who sets Mane up for the one that goes over the bar. Um yeah, he's he is a mad player. He's a mad player. You go back to his hat trick at Atalanta last last season and he reminds you of like a Fernando Torres where or it's just all, yeah. yeah, or Michael Owen, yeah, it's just on the shoulder, instinctive finishing, one touch bang. But uh, it's great to have him now in that lineup. We, look, we probably won't miss Bobby in these next few weeks because he's shown that he can adapt and play that little bit of a role. And he gives opposition players something to think about because when centre halves are playing against Bobby, they're thinking, this fella's not gonna give me too many nightmares going the other way. Like just follow him in or lead the midfielder onto him. But Jota spinning off you and getting in behind the fella is an, is an absolute nightmare. And one thing I noticed about him is he's quite bow-footed. Like, he's nothing like the player that I thought we were getting from Wolves. Because <laughs> I thought yeah. we were, I just thought we were getting like a, like someone like a more direct winger, someone who's going to hit the byline and come inside. But the fella's a goal machine. He's a goal machine. Even though he didn't really, he, didn't, he hasn't got one the weekend. He's a goal machine. He does so many of those runs across the front post. Yeah, his, his movement's underrated, Sean. His movement's yeah. so good. He drops He reminds brilliant. me so much of Raul in and around the, the pit. Like, just that little last-minute burst in front of the defender to nick on the header. He's so good at it. Like, Phil as well talked earlier about Thiago's heading ability being underrated. The fella scores a stupid amount of headers. I can't, I can't believe it. Gav, can you just pull up that super chat again there? Um, because I, I think uh, it, there was a good point made, and and, and I want to touch on it before. It was promo, yeah, promo super chat. Um, if you could, yeah, pull that up, um, yeah, because I, I think what what I want to do, I want to come to you in, in a second, Phil, just on uh, on on tomorrow night. Um, but promo makes a good point. He says, uh, "Let's see how you feel when Manny misses against a team who punish uh, our misses. Manny has dropped off." But it's a good it is a good option in the squad. We need a Kiesa. So um couple of things on that. I'm not as overly concerned with strikers missing chances because we now have defensive solidity. Uh that's first and foremost. I don't think it's like last season where games are tight and games naturally, you know, if you're putting pressure on, you're not scoring goals, you're always uh, susceptible to conceding one at the other end. I don't feel like Liverpool Liverpool are going to concede goals. So that's one thing that I don't think puts as much pressure on. Second of all, I also think we're going to create a hell of a lot more chances for some of the reasons that Shawnee said before, which is that defence is not only making us a lot more solid, but it's actually one of our best defensive um, uh, assets as well. So I think we're going to be creating a load more chances and I think the pressure is going to be taken off because of the fact that we uh, we, we don't concede as many. But appreciate the super chat. Yeah. Uh, and you but make a fair point. Sadio Mane, our form, scored more goals than Chiesa did last season. So it's kind of a be careful what you wish for kind of thing. If mm. Not saying going big. Look, Juventus would command 
a stupid amount of money for Chiesa. And if you want to know what sort of damage... We've, we've been corrected. He meant a, uh, a Chiesa-type player, not him fair, necessarily. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there, like with Chiesa, I mean, he was brilliant at the Euros, but international football is a different different yeah. uh, game altogether. Where How many players do we see? Like Granit Xhaka look good at the at the Euros, yeah. where you know he's got time on the ball. He's, he's not as rash because it's not as fast-paced. I'm not saying Chiesa is not a good player. Liverpool would love to have him in their squad, but Just, the money they'd have to, to pay for him. Exactly. And like I was going to say that time, if you want to see the damage that signing these players can do, flick up any score apps there, flash score, live score, and have a look at Barcelona starting 11 tonight. Because that's the shite it can leave you with. Did Luke de Jong and Memphis the boy playing up front for them tonight? And I was kind of like, this was supposed to be some sort of heavyweight clash in European football and Bayern just swatted them aside like they were like they were Burnley more or less to be honest with you Burnley probably would have given them more of a game so you need to be thinking like th- these big flashy 100 million players okay, it looks great on the on the outside but you've got to be very careful but the fact you said Chiesa t- toy player I do agree that another goal scorer and wide forward would make the world a difference to this Liverpool team Talking about European heavyweight clashes, Phil, uh, looking ahead to AC Milan tomorrow. Liverpool's group has a general feel of a proper Champions League group, uh, given the teams that are in it. And I suppose one of the things I want to touch on ahead of tomorrow night is obviously, um, is it going to be one of those where you expect Jürgen to maybe rotate a little bit, um, given the, the personnel that that we have available. Uh, the fact that we've got a congested fixture list coming up now, um, you know, over the next few weeks, uh, or do you think it's very much, you know, the, you know, sticking with the team that has delivered so far this season? Yeah, well, we know he's obviously going to have to make one change in midfield. I would take Joe Matip out of the team because his minutes need to be managed and wrapping up the cotton wool. Yeah, I would. I would think tomorrow. Do you know what? Throw Kanata in. Give him a. Give him a European game. He's played European games a little bit different than a Premier League game. Um, we don't know who they're going to go. Obviously, we know Ibrahimovic is out. So do they go Giroud? Do they play Rebic? But I think give Kanata a nice home game in the Champions League. That would be my change to the back four. I think Henderson is probably going to start, and then. The midfield might stay the same, but wouldn't be surprised. Well, Fabinho has to start as well. So does he take Thiago out? We're talking about how good Thiago was. Thiago, it's probably exactly what you need tomorrow against AC Milan. And then I think the front three picks itself. So it's probably about what he does off the bench. Um, You think of what he did on Sunday. Obviously, Henderson came on. Oxlade-Chamberlain came on. I thought, actually, when... Can I just say, Phil, sorry, mate, can I just give a tip of the hat to producer Gav there? He just knocked that up whilst you were listing your team. That's very impressive, (laughs) Gav. Uh, Yeah, that's that's the team I'd go with. Um, As I said, it's nothing to do with, we obviously know how good Matip is, but I'm just thinking long-term that... Let like don't get greedy with Matip. It's a bonus that he he's playing. We're seeing how good he is. But if he only can play one game a week, then just stick with it for the moment. Who knows? Maybe later in the season you can start throwing him in for other games. But um, and also as well, Kanate. Let's see what he's made of. Um, I kind of think 
Milan are obviously they're back in it for the first time in seven years. It's a big game for them, but Liverpool have to they have to put the foot down and get this done because it's the toughest group Liverpool have had under Klopp. That he said it himself today. Um, if you think of the fixtures coming up, Milan at home, Porto away, the two games that you can win before you go into those mini. Um, almost home and away games with with Atletico, which are going to be the sticky ones because Atletico are a horrible team to play against. And you, 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 Liverpool never do things easy. I mean, last season was one of the first times I can remember under Klopp that they went into the last game already qualified. That's why it was all the more baffling the team that he picked. And obviously, Jota gets the injury. But yeah, they, they have to win now. I'm not. I'm not. Um, writing Milan off because we saw them in the Europa League. They were very unfortunate. They should have probably gone through against United over the two legs last season. So they'll cause plenty of problems. Um, they're um, they're quite physical and athletic. So it should be a good one. Uh, Conroy, I'll come to you because I, I, I share Phil's sentiments in that, you know, potentially there's a bit of rotation. The thing that would worry me is it looks like maybe Giroud might play and Giroud always scores against Liverpool. And I'd be of the thinking at centre-back, if you were going to bring, as much as I want to see Canate, if you were going to m- make a change, you'd potentially look to bring in Joe Gomez just because he's more familiar with our system, the way that we play. Um, it, Klopp is v- famous for bringing in players and making them disappear for about six to 12 months. I, I, I would expect something similar potentially maybe with Canate. With but the thing that would worry me maybe about a Joe Gomez coming in is, is aerially he, he doesn't win as many headers as what he he should. And potentially maybe Giroud, that could cause us a few problems. Was there any changes that you'd make to Phil's lineup? Um, or what, what are you thinking? I think it's a great shout, Phil. The Kanai points really good, mate. But I've got to be honest. I think he might play Matip only on the basis of we've tried this before in Matip, and I don't know if it sounds a bit, you know, a bit um, flippant with it. But I feel like he would just keep playing Matip until he can't. Something happens. <laughs> if, if you know what I'm, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't mean, yeah. I don't mean to be, but to me, Matip and Van Dyke right now look very solid. And if you see a Juru. I feel like because of that, I think he just sticks with Matip and Van Dijk because you know they can deal Always with scores it. against us, Giroud. Always scores against us. Yeah, yeah, and I just feel like maybe it's not the best game to put a Canate or a, a Gomez in. However, if it was one, I actually would agree with Phil. It'd be Canate because he, he has played a few preseason games more and more more minutes than, than Gomez. However, I, I think he'll stick with Matip, to be honest. I just think he's going to stick with him until something happens. It's not this great tactical analysis. I just feel like in the past... You know what's you know what's happened. It's you can never write just, it with Matt. Just go with the Roy Hodgson approach. Just go with the Roy Hodgson approach. Test his resolve and just play him until he breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say if it's going to be rotation, I think it'd be Kanate just for preseason minutes. But but that that's a, it's a good shout either way. Um, but I'd, I'd I'd probably stick with Matt. Anything different from you, Shoney? Before I get predictions. No, I'm going to be greedy. I want to see Kanate tomorrow night. Um, he looked deadly in pre-season, just real calm on the ball and his passing into midfield. I thought he was he was excellent. And the fella is as strong as an ox. And Two big grocks at centre-back is always good. As that, you know? just, just Van Dijk and Kanate at the back could be like, talking about Jarrell here, lads. Unfortunately, he always scores against us, but who gives a shit? Just fucking put someone on and bully the fuck out of the game. Just get him out of the game. Because the other corn dog is taking the night off. Because, again, like... Lions don't heal like humans, but 
I'm sorry Zlatan you are human mate and yeah, you're starting to get a bit on now and you're picking up your old injuries here and there so just relax on your philosophical shite mate because it's I knew you were going to get his last on digging I'm impressed that you managed yeah, to get I it in I can't stand him he's a cornball honestly the yeah. fellas that's the, the best, best insult player. here they are cornball that's the best insult oh, yeah, he's, he's the best footballer in his gaff I'd say he gives himself ballon d'ors <laughs> Every morning, every morning, he's got got a few ballon doors. Yeah, I'd go with that, but I I wouldn't be surprised if Simakas got. I was going to say that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he whipped Rabo out and threw Simakas in because he's been playing and he's been kind of playing well, and there hasn't really been much of a drop off. And he was in there, and he might start look to manage minutes now because this this is my worry with this squad when the game start piling up how durable are the bodies going to be? Um, and it, we just don't know. And again, I think th- there's even a possibility you might see Keita thrown in tomorrow night uh, instead of a Thiago because we, we play tomorrow, Saturday, tomorrow. Like So Klopp will is going to start looking at managing minutes with this squad. And that's one of my only gripes with um, Jesus Christ, Gav, you are quick. He is on fire, isn't he? He's a nice player. Yeah. If if I was doing Simicast, I'd I'd say leave Matip in. You don't want to be making too many changes to your, your back four. Um, but I do think there's a there is a possibility that we might see Kate in there because one criticism that I have had of Klopp since he's come in is that his squad rotation and his game management hasn't always been. Like I think there's, there is opportunities where, for example, the 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 Midland game last year. And what Phil said, everyone was looking at the lineup, going, "What's the bleeding story here? Give the lads a night off, will you?" Like playing, that was in the COVID season where it was literally football games on every night of the week, and it felt like a team was playing three, four times a week at, at one stage, especially coming up to Christmas. So, um, getting off to a start, a good start in this group will be massively important. Um, I think the fact that the home game at AC Milan falling for us, who will probably. I don't know what to expect from Milan. I'm not a big watcher of Italian football. I I do know they are a bit blood and thunder. They leave themselves exposed at the back. And they they sound like the type of team that could turn up that Anfield and get turned over after 20 or 30 minutes and the game's put to bed. Because um, Liverpool have got the ability to do that to the team. So let's see. But I want to see Kanate tomorrow night. I'm with Phil. I'm going to be greedy. I want to see Kanate and give Matip a rest. Right, quick fire predictions, and then we're going to finish on winners and losers of the Ma- Phil. Up, think, Gav thinking I wouldn't notice that. <laughs> Wait, don't get me started on Joe Matip. It's always a loving when I'm on that show. What, what a player, Joe Matip. Very <laughs> this world. Gav, Gav's on the cans in the background there doing the graphics. I love it. Uh, Phil, predictions for tomorrow. I'm going to go two now, and Mane's going to score, and maybe. Maybe if Kanate plays, he scores because they'll be looking after Van Dyke, and then Kanate just comes in and buries a header into the cup. Love it, love it, Conroy. Uh, one, one now, Jota. Okay, another shot out for the Reds, Shawnee. I'm gonna go three 0 Liverpool. Oh, Mane. I love the optimism. The Reds are back. Everyone believes in us. I love it. Go on, Mane. Mane who else? Mane two and Jota one. We've won every game three 0 more or less this season, except for the the Chelsea one. So we're flying. Love us, right? And the one so I we're going to f- 
We're gonna we're gonna finish off with winners and losers. So uh, who wants to go first? I tell you what, uh, we will go to Phil first for your winners and losers, sir. Okay, so for my winner, I'm going for Odson Edwards. Uh, second touch, goal, then scores another one, and he's already scored more goals than Jordan Ayew since the start of last season in the Premier League. <laughs> and obviously as well, when you when you come from the Scottish Premiership, there's always questions, can you do it? Now, look, it's only the first game, but what a, what a debut for him. And, um, you know, to do it, to get their first win, Patrick Vieira, that bit sweeter as well for the fact that it was against Spurs. And actually, it ties into my losers as well, because Spurs were the losers. Um, you know, everyone was going on. Like, they beat City in the first the first game of the season, and fair play to them. But then, you know, they scraped wins against Watford and Wolves. And, I, like, Nuno is, he's basically a mini Mourinho without the... The mouth, he's not a mouthpiece, but Spurs fans, it's going to be a tough season for them. Um, looking at some of the way they play, and then like to show how blunt they were, obviously, Tanganga sending off was a pivotal moment. But I know where you're going here, you're gonna gonna get Harry Kane in, yeah. (laughs) But Harry Kane. It's the first time ever he hasn't had a touch Phil or a shot. Harry Kane. I'm no, just no, it's just not, <laughs> it just, but it, it just proves that how blunt they were. Uh, and obviously, Son not playing. Son for me is the superstar of that attack. Um, Kane gets all the headlines. He scores most of the goals. But Son, if you if you offered me Son or Kane to fit into the Liverpool team, I'd take Son all the time because he would fit into the way Liverpool play that bit better. But, yeah, Spurs, they have Chelsea at the weekend. They play Arsenal the following weekend. So that 3-0 defeat at Palace, and all of a sudden now you're looking, you can't see them beating Chelsea. Not a hope they beat Chelsea. The Arsenal game, we don't know. Arsenal are playing Burnley this weekend. They could be going into that with two wins under their belt. And then they tend to raise their game for the for the North London Derby. So imagine he goes after winning his first three games, gets manager of the month, the kiss of death, and then he could be staring three defeats in a row. So I, I just think Spurs, it, it's a far like it's it's a far cry from Pochettino and that free flowing football. But the day they signed or they appointed Mourinho, it showed to me that it was no longer about style, and they've just continued that with Nuno. In fairness to Nuno, he does have style with some of the gear he's wearing on the sideline. Lovely. Uh, Navy jacket that he's been rocking like so, uh, but that's about it. Like I think it's going to be a grim season for Spurs. Shawnee, winners and losers. Yeah, failed kind of not the odd word line, but I'm going to go with Palace for winners of the week. And um, I was very very impressed with how they played even before Spurs went down to ten. I think their approach to the game was something that I'd never ever seen at Crystal Palace because. You know, like Sellhorst is one of them grounds that we I spoke about earlier. That would be one of the grounds in England that is still very partisan. Like the crowd is great. Bouncing. There. Yeah. The glad all over and it, it, it just always seems to be a good atmosphere there. No matter what time the game is on. Like that was a half twelve kickoff on a Saturday and the place was rocking and they had so many good individual performances and they were playing really like you could see that they were actually playing to a coach's style, which was good because mm-hmm. Fiera had been, everyone was kind of going, what's going on here with this fella? And the lad that they have in the middle, uh, Conor Gallagher, is 
he's, he's a brilliant player. To think that Chelsea just have lads like him to throw away um, would say that they're doing something really, really well with the with their academy. I I was very, very impressed with them, that temperament and how they handled the game. And uh, I think it's going to be a tough game against them on Saturday. Uh, my loser of the week, I'm going to put a new spin on this and I'm going to change the name what it is. I'm going to go with a, a wanker of the week this week. And uh, <laughs> there's no guessing in the chat. Me watching Thiago. As the hill. Yeah, yeah. Me and your front garden looking in that year watching the game on Saturday. Uh, this The wanker of the week this week is... Uh, Theodore Bagwell, teabag, Gary Neville, as he's known to his mates. <laughs> who, who, who am I kidding? This fella doesn't have any friends. There's no way that anyone enjoys this fella's company, not even Jamie Carragher. I think he's pretending even to do it now after so long. Um, I'm just sick of him, Jamie. Honest to God, mate. I'm just tired. I'm sick and tired of this fella. Always having to be the loudest voice in the room. He turned into a prime minister last year when the, the United fans are trying to burn down the stadium acting as an uh, as an uh, enabler for all of these lads, saying how great it was and all this and that. And then the European Super League and, and how it was bad for football and uh, the moral and they need to protect the game or we need to protect your interest, the fact that you're running a League 2 club with a championship budget, Gary. Maybe that's probably what you're trying to protect your interest there. They're trying to make minnows into championship clubs because there's a, actually appears to be an awful lot of money in it. Him, uh, imagine my shock, but during the international break, he's coming out with this shite of something's not quite right at Liverpool, and I sense something was wrong with Klopp and all, and, and his little buddy Carragher, the blue nose, who I've no time for either, to be honest with you, uh, coming out ret- retweeting it like they know the ins and outs of what's going on at Liverpool. Like, it's just a lot of shite. I'm sick of these narratives that he's trying to drum up with. Oh, I remember him. He gets emotional and he turns around saying, like, you know, you don't win the title before Liverpool and Salah will be gone. Like, like these things were assert and it wasn't his opinion. Clutching. Just Clutching's the word yeah, you're looking 100%. for. Yeah, 100%. And he's always fucking at it. And then he started last night. And I have to give props where it's due. Neville tied the poor fucker up in nuts because he oh, was Carragher. trying to paint. Yeah, uh, Carragher tied him up in nuts because he was trying to paint this picture that Ronaldo all of a sudden now because he's back in United that he's the greatest footballer of all time and all of these, of course, of course, you're going to say that. Of course, he's going to all say of, that. All of these <laughs> things, like, oh yeah, I'd rather Ronaldo coming off the bench and Carragher just turns around and says, "Yeah, well, Messi's statistically scored more goals off the bench than Ronaldo and Sky thrown up." It's like four, four, four less goals, right? And he's played 120 more games. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, honestly, and the stats were wrong. I, I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot stand the fella. He's so high on the sound of his own own importance. And I can't wait until he's fucked off uh, with Sky. I don't think he will be because they're like bleeding Anton Deck on Sky at the moment. They'll be around now until, until the cows come home. But yeah, I just wanted to uh, just vent Get there. Get that on, Yeah. Gary Neville is wanker of the week to the surprise <laughs> of absolutely nobody. <laughs> it's it's funny. I With Gary Neville, I'm, I'm the same. I still think that him and Carragher went on Monday Night Football and not acting very Alan Partridge. I still think they're the best, an- <laughs> be- be- best the analysts best in the game. Ever. That's the best Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they are though. It's getting a bit It's oh. getting a bit that way now, but I still think they're the best analysts in the game. I think Gary Neville's Thank problem you. is he's, he, he can't critically analyse Manchester United. Yeah, too, too emotional. It's so up. emotional. It's ridiculous. Honestly. So Conroy, am I right in thinking that Gary Neville was your 
loser. Of the oh, I'm, well. I'm going to follow up. Don't you worry, Jamie. It's coming. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've got more to add to that. He's getting around the place tonight. I hope he's. Oh playing. well. Someone send him the link. Bombard him with the link. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't get personal. Uh, if you're all right for me to go now, Jamie, or do you want to go first? Yeah, mate? you go, mate. You go. I, I don't. I'm not going to. I'll do my winner first, and then I'm just. I don't use the copy, but I'm going to do it because I'm that pissed off with last night. So we're not going to get started. Um, well, winner a bit outside the box. I'm going to go for Wolves. Watched them before the international break, and I was really, really impressed. I think remember Frank De Boer with Palace lost the first three games, got sacked. I watched Wolves and I'd seen a little bit of the highlights before the United game, but I was I was thoroughly impressed with the, the, the kind of tactics, the way they approached that. And it's not the manager's fault that Cease can't can't put a ball in the net from two yards, even though he's a professional footballer. That's not his fault. Do you know what I mean? That's not his. So I was actually, I really felt quite sympathetic. And then you always had the Pogba ordeal with the challenge. So for them to get the win away at Watford at the weekend, really, really happy for them. Because I, I, I actually... There's some teams I just like I want to watch more of, and I'm quite intrigued by Wilson, the way they play, the way he's been getting the best out of Adama. And I know previously we thought that's out wide, um, you know, with Jimenez, but I've seen a few different things against United, the way he played them. So, yeah, credit to Wilson and, and getting the first one there. I thought they were, they were really good. And, and through the comment I listened to online, I think they thoroughly deserved the win. So all credit to them. Uh, my loser is, is, yeah, I'm is, or is a... Is a uh, Shawnee said, the wanker of the week. I'd say the problem I've got is maybe I sometimes think, am I in the wrong the way I think about football? And then I realise, no, I'm not. So so the way football is, they try to say the greatest goal scorer. So let's get all the stats we can possibly get to somehow work it towards our former United player because that's because we just can't see that this little five foot nine magician is just out of this world because that's all it is. It's... To me, it's so simple. They put the goal-scoring stats up, right, to try, we'll get a point here that he's the greatest. We'll try and he's the greatest ever because we want the fairy tale, the fairy tale story. Came from Portugal. He worked, look at his physique. He's amazing. He's the man, right? And this, you just can't beat this little guy. You just can't beat him because he's an alien. He's, he's just unbelievable. And it was like, as, as Sean said, the stats, international trophies. Phil, we must have been dreaming it, mate, because I thought the Copa America was a couple of months ago and, and Messi was lifting the trophy. He was actually lifting the trophy last week. He but was crying. That. Yeah, yeah, he got, he got to lift it again because there was fans there and there was a few fans yeah. there the night in the Maracanã when they, they won, but I must have imagined that the Maria go must have, must because I'm sure he chipped Ederson. We must be having the same dreams for that's that's yeah. strange. It was, and then, was, um, it was a late one anyway. And as <laughs> as much as you want to say, yeah, as much as you want to say, free Champions League on your st- statistics, as much as he wasn't maybe pivotal in the final, even though he had a cracking game against Chelsea on that build up, and and was until he got injured, he still got four Champions League medals. So they're both incorrect stats. Doesn't matter how you want to paint it, they're both incorrect stats. And then, yeah, just to top it all off, we're not going to include assists because that's the one thing that separates Messi because he is a playmaker and he's competing to be one of the best goal scorers ever. So I just thought it was really predictable and convenient as usual when it comes to those stats because we have to make a channel to make it seem like this is our guy. Lionel Messi, in my opinion, we're not going to get into that tonight, right? But he's the greatest ever. But we'll just for the Ronaldo one, we'll say he's the greatest, right? player right now in, in the world because he literally in the last decades has scored the most goals and got the most assists. That is, there's nothing like that. That's out of this world. Yet there's just, there has to be an agenda to try and work it. No, we can't say that. We have to compete with this because the guy's a genius. Like I just, 
I'm baffled by it last night, but not surprised because, of course, that's going to happen. And you're going to hear that a lot of the season. You're going to hear, like, see if Ronaldo had won the one 0 tonight, they'd be like the, uh, Gary Neville tweeted earlier the goat image because they're one 0 away to young boys. Okay, right, and they ended up losing that game. It's just at times I don't know if it's they're doing the Alan Partridge thing on purpose just to get clout, or, or uh, you know, it's just uh, yes, you get wound up too easy. Because this is what they want. You're probably right, Phil. You probably are right. No, you're you're right. You're right. And I don't get emotional, but when you come at Messi like that, it just that's not on. Because if you if you put the assist next to it, you would have seen less games and and like I think seventy more assists or maybe a hundred more assists. Ridiculous. I saw lads arguing online that yesterday about the new FIFA ratings. Grown men arguing that Ronaldo had dropped below Lewandowski. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't, if you want the FIFA, look, if you've got FIFA ratings, fair enough. And look, some people are gamers and, like, and there's there's money to be made in that. But it's something that's designed for a computer game. It's not real. Yeah. It's not real. Like, and lads the, losing their shit over it. Like. The, the funniest bit for me out of the whole thing was, and Phil, you love this because... Yeah, I, I'm like you. Yeah, I do share uh, certain the testament to Harry Kane. <laughs> Neville is on record saying that if United had signed Harry Kane, they'd win the league. Right? That that was exactly his words. Yep. yep and because yep. he knew that was never going to happen, he knew if Kane was going, he was going to City because he knows Kane wants to win trophies. All right. So he always knew that. That was something he hid behind. All right. So he's going on about how United have scored the greatest goal scorer of all time. And Carragher put the question to him last night. <laughs> so will they win the league? Right? And his answer was, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I still think they're short. All right? So the fact of the matter is, they're at the sign in a fella now who scores goals at a rate and that's like, like not many other, like, like comparable to probably only one. And he's not gonna put his mate under pressure and say, "All oh, right, yeah, we actually they actually shrug and can win the league now," because he doesn't want to put his little buddy who's in a job under any more pressure than he's already under. So then Carragher said, "So if United signed Kane, would Ronaldo be on the bench?" And he didn't know what to say. He was stuttering. Literally, he asked a man to go to a break because the fella was literally pulling at his toy. It just goes to show you these fellas talk some absolute shite. But Phil, you probably hit the nail on the head. It is to get the likes of myself and Conroy wound <laughs> and talking about it yeah. and engaging yeah. about it online. And uh, but the fact that you could never tell that you were wound up, lads. To be honest, you're very breezy there. He does make it sound like though that he actually believes the shit that he comes out with, and it's just good to know that a fella who's probably played three hundred and odd Premier League games and as many England caps that they're still capable of looking like fucking idiots on telly when they're talking about football because <laughs> all these statements he made about Kane came back to bite him in spades last night because he just didn't want to turn around and say, well, they should be winning the league now because they should. Let's be honest. Let's be let's be no, very honest about it. Varane, Sancho and uh, Ronaldo, it's ridiculous. But also, Sean, to add to that, it was when I did like this part of Carragher had, had this, the ammunition. They went... If you need someone to come off the bench, but okay, if that's how you look at football, that's just another question they've pulled out there to kind of fit Ronaldo into the answer. 
And then Karen goes, that's a nonsense, ridiculous question. Lionel Messi has literally scored double the amount of goals when he's came off the bench. <laughs> so he says, that's ridiculous. So it's like, you know, Jamie Carragher looked at his questions earlier in the briefing and went, I'm going to absolutely do him with this. Right? So fair play. Fair play to him. I'll give him that. Like, brilliant. Uh, I swore to Gav that I'd keep this show to an hour and I have failed miserably miserably yeah, we'll stop, we are now at qu- quarter every to week, 12 then, will you? I know, say the same I thing know. every week I know and I was meant to be downstairs watching uh, marry the uh, marry the first sight with the missus so anyway right I'll keep mine short and sweet my winners and losers uh, my winner of the week is Harvey Elliott um, and the reason that it's Harvey Elliott um, a lad of his age faced with unbelievable adversity and um, the way that he handled it, the way that he was able to diffuse the situation in terms of the tackle, uh, it was good to see the players going back and forth and Elliot kind of um, uh, removed any type of blame for the tackle. I thought it was a very mature thing to do and diffuse the situation. And then you see the stories of the fact that that young kid was in hospital and Harvey Elliott gave him his shirt and just his, his kind of can-do attitude. Ever since he got injured, he was talking about his comeback. He's going to do the right things. And I just think for the player, you know, I, I'm 36 and if I got injured, I wouldn't be putting out posts like that. I'd be sulking like a baby, stamping me, me one good foot. You know, I, you know, for a kid at that age to be able to, to have that much um, confidence and composure um, and just an all-round good guy. Um, Harvey Ellis is definitely going to be my winner of the week and I'm looking forward to seeing him back in a red shirt soon. My loser. Now, I could probably pick this fella every week if I wanted to because I'd be able to find something stupid that he said or something that he said that, that's annoyed me. Richard Keys. Richard Keys and Bien Sports, right? Like... I don't I'm not gonna get too personal, but I could. But I'm not gonna. He he's gone to the point now where it's beyond parody. He just seems like you know when you go to a family party and there's like a drunk uncle who's a bit of a knobhead, gets drunk too quick and just starts shouting. Uncle his mouth Uncle Dickhead. Saying, there's always one. There's always there's one. There's always, always one, one Uncle Dickhead, right? So he seems to me like he's Uncle Dickhead. Has too many shandies, gets a bit excited, slightly creepy. And just shouts things in the corner of the room. He's, I, I was watching him the other day, and he decided that he wanted to be controversial because they're now like shock jocks. That's what they are. Him and uh, him in particular, they have to say crazy things to get attention, to create a stare on uh, uh, online. And his point was about Jurgen Klopp. Uh, hairy hands. I wasn't going to go down that route. I was going to go uh, down look, Teen Wolf, just, but I, I did. Teen Wolf, yeah. <laughs> what I'm a movie! For saying anything. <laughs> Great the, channel, the, the channel will be shut down in the morning. So, Gav, you're probably better off muting me for the next ten minutes. Yeah, I've got. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it uh, classy. I, I mean, no. My point is, Harvey Elliott is lying on the floor injured. This is one of uh, the brightest, most positive stories about Premier in the Premier League so far this season. There's no football fan that doesn't like to see youngsters thriving under the spotlight. Rather than focusing on that and the fact that he was injured. Richard Keyes used it as an opportunity to take a pop at Jurgen Klopp, and he seems very good at taking pops at Jurgen Klopp. He'll look at any opportunity he can 
to take a pop at Klopp. And his whole segment on TV was the fact that Klopp was outside of his technical area and how it's basically a disgrace that Klopp was outside his technical area and how Klopp was outside his technical area because he wanted to influence the referee and get a player sent off. This is no reference to the fact that these are humans, that Klopp probably feels responsible for the 18-year-old that's lying on the floor. The fact that Klopp has, has publicly spoken about the danger that's coming with the increase in contact in football. And he, he's seeing a young kid that he cares dearly about and he's frustrated and he's human. The fact that Richard Keyes has tried to take this as an opportunity to, to throw a dagger into Klopp and try and create some type of negative spin that could A, see Klopp get into trouble, I just think is is petty, desperate and very, very poor journalism from Richard Keyes. And it just, it seems sad that somebody has got to stoop to these type of levels to constantly keep themselves in the news. Very much along the lines of talk sports, say something crazy and you'll get lots of attention, but uh, it isn't always the right type of attention. So Richard Keyes, you are my loser of the week this week. Uh, anything to add on winners and losers, lads, before we wrap up? I was just saying, I take it you don't read Richard Key's blog every week, then no? No, I don't. I'm blocked on Twitter. He blocked me. I, well, I didn't call. I didn't make reference to Team Wolf the movie, but I definitely said something that he didn't like. So I'm I'm officially blocked. So I can't say anything. Yeah, what did I miss? Much. You're not missing much anyway. I tend to when I read these uh, blogs, so I tend to read them in his voice. I think it adds to the the effect. But he he also he really hates Rafa Benitez as well. Hates him, he absolutely hates him. Yeah, yeah, he's a part of him as well. So, yeah, um, do you know what? It's funny you see clips of them online, and I know the way they they left Sky, but Andy Gray was a bloody good co-commentator. Whatever yeah, about the stuff in the studio where he was absolutely. putting his his VHSs in and he was showing you how things were done, but he was a brilliant co-commentator, and I'd have him back because it's it's a tough gig co-commentary, and there's not that many decent ones out there. And I, you, like, like you just think back to Gerrard's goal against Olympiacos, Andy Gray. Iconic it. moments. Iconic moments he delivered in the big moments, didn't he? Yeah, big time. Some of the stuff he yeah. said, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, you know me and the accents, lads, I'll say off them. I don't want <laughs> Every accent's Jamaican. <laughs> I don't want to insult. Jack Grealish, the Jamaican, was it? Was it Jack Grealish that you yeah. did? Who did you do that I, time? Was I it Jack Grealish? Well, that's, the probably one, the probably one was hard. Scottish is a bit easier, but I said, I won't insult, I won't insult uh, Conroy, we're trying to. No, it's, it's, it's okay, mate. Don't worry. Don't worry. I, 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 people thought I was Irish in other channels, not obviously in this channel, but the first few shows I went You're on, not people Irish. thought I was Irish. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, yeah, uh, shout out for commentators. Though. Yeah, actually, on that, um, obviously, big McCoy. But um, I was really refreshed with Emma Hayes at the Euros, the Chelsea women's team's manager. I she actually brought well, yeah. broke, broke it down and like, explained, like educated, as I was listening. Um, so shout out. You're either a bit like McCoy, where you know you love the sport, or if you're going to inform me like that and make me learn you know, and educate myself, I feel like yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know how you're saying like Richard Keyes dislikes Benitez. I sometimes think we forget like this is not like a a blog a vlog of these people's life. Like their job is to be non-biased and, and like you know neutral and informers like of more information because of the yeah, what we're well, watching, you know the, yeah, the yeah. broadcast. And this is the thing we're forgetting. We're in this way now where it's like yeah. we just take the bare minimum, and that's that's what it is. So 
just thought I'd show it Emma Hayes. I thought she was really good. Yeah, really good. and apparently, like, well, it's 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 evident the the best co-commentators are the ones that are prepped. Uh, Sean, you yeah. mentioned Brian Kerr earlier on. The first time I went to an Ireland match, he was on the same flight as me. The first away trip, and I'm surprised he didn't have to pay extra for the amount of sheets that he had on the plane beside him yeah. because what? just every, like just everything what? like and. It comes out naturally, but it's all, you know, these people study yeah. the game and they love it. I, and it's not it's quick, not hard work. Quick story about Brian Kerfield. I walked in the I walked out on RTE for one of the World Cups in the summer and they do this thing called you probably heard of it walking in media, so it's called shot listing. So you basically draft up all of the the highlights and that. So you'd have the likes of um you had who was there, Liam Brady, Eamon Dunphy. And all these lads would be sitting in the green room around you. And that walk that goes into it, the notes that these lads are taking down, they know absolutely everything about everyone. Even the all these Georgian players who, poor George Hamilton, like, probably went to sleep saying kiss in Ashville one night in his sleep because it's literally <laughs> the only player he knew. Off the Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they just throw in, like, just all the... But a lot of walk does go into it. And it is a dying art, I think, uh, the Cowcoms, because... They're just giving the jobs now to people like Neville and Carragher, who haven't really earned a crust in ways because t- like you had Tyler who came through the media. And one thing that we always throw aim at like Tyler is how boys he is. Look at how Andy Gray, an Everton legend, celebrated a Stephen Gerrard last minute winner at Anfield. That's what it should be about. That's emotion. Compare that to Martin Tyler. <laughs> like Martin, Martin Tyler sounds like someone farted in his lunchbox and he just out now every time they have a field. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> On, I was going to say something uh, else there, but yeah, no, no, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. <laughs> no, that's that, that, no, that is the, the the perfect way to finish. I think that's going to be the name of the podcast, um, lads. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I apologise for letting it run wildly over time. Um, as always, it's a, a pleasure to have your company. Great to have you on, Shawnee. Finally, um, thank you to everybody in the chat. Uh, most importantly, um, as we always say every week, the, the comments are massively appreciated from, from all of us. Um, quick shout out to Sam Maguire again for feeding us with a load of the graphics. If you are into that type of thing, I would strongly recommend you go and check out his Patreon page. There's loads more information uh, similar to what you would have seen in a lot more detail, so please do go check it out. Everybody in the chat, if you don't mind, if it can be a little bit cheeky before you go, if you can just leave us a quick like on the video, if you've liked it, of course. Um, and then if you could just leave us a comment underneath in the video, we, we, we love reading your feedback, but more importantly as well, what it also helps is the video to get out to more people. So every like you'll hear us talk about it and, and, and probably think it's just a vanity thing. It's not. Every time somebody likes a video or leaves a comment, it spreads that video and gets it in front of new viewers. So leave us your feedback. Let us know what you like, you didn't like. Uh, what are your predictions ahead of tomorrow? Uh, and by doing that, it'll also help us spread the word of the day trippers. So um, if you could do that, that would be massively appreciated. So with that, it's 5 to 12 I am way, way over budget. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize, Gav. Um, With that, I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Make sure you enjoy the rest of your week, and we will be back with you next Wednesday on hopefully a more cut-down midweek fix. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.